If someone asked you to describe Jesus, how would you answer? Would you find it easy or challenging? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah considers several different descriptions of Jesus provided by Christ himself. What do they tell us about the Savior and his love for us? From the Jesus you may not know, here's David to introduce today's message, Is He Past or Is He Present? In these messages we have been teaching on the Jesus you may not know, we have been confronting some of the attributes the Bible gives us about him. And one of the things we know about Jesus is he's eternal. In other words, there has never been a time when he was not, nor will there ever be a time when he ceases to be. He is eternal. And so our question is simply meant to ask us to think about this. Is he past or is he present? He is both. And he's future, too. And uh, we're going to talk about that today as we take this little view into the omnipotence, omnipresence, omniscience of Jesus Christ. We still have time in these last couple of days to make our devotional for 2024 available to you. We have uh, enough of them so that there's one here in the warehouse that we can give to you. Here's what you need to do. Send a year-end gift to Turning Point today. And when you do, simply say, please send me the devotional for the new year. They're shrink-wrapped, ready to go, and you'll have it before you know it. We want you to have this as soon as possible so you can begin 2024 focused on spiritual things going into that year. Once again, send your gift, ask for your copy of the devotional. That's the transaction. That's all you need to do. Well, here's part one of Is He Past or Is He Present? If you're like me, perhaps you have seen pictures of the colossal Christ the Redeemer sculpture in Rio de Janeiro. As you fly into that city, this sculpture of Jesus rises 124 feet from a mountaintop that overlooks the city. The arms of Jesus are out like he's blessing the city below. This is one of the new seven wonders of the world. And awestruck visitors have been marveling at this since 1931. But it's not the world's tallest statue by any means. It's not even the second largest. The Christ of Peace stands atop San Pedro Hill in central Bolivia. It towers 132.7 feet up into the heavens and boasts an arm span of 107 feet. A dramatic sky lift whisks visitors to the statue's base. But wait, there's an even larger statue of Christ, which was completed in 2010 in Poland. This is Christ the King. It is a staggering 172 feet tall, the tallest statue of Jesus on the earth, but not for long. There's a taller one under construction right now. And it's interesting, is it not, that if only the town fathers had realized that a lifeless statue of Jesus on a hill can't make the difference in anybody's life. It's the reality of the living Jesus sitting on the throne of heaven and living in our lives that makes the difference. There's no statue, no matter how tall you make it, that can change your life. It may cause you to have a sense of awe. It may make you remember that there is such a person as Jesus. But statues don't change lives. 
Crosses don't change lives. Crucifixes don't change lives. Only Jesus can do that. Someone said once, give me Jesus. Just give me himself. The Jesus of scripture, the Jesus of history, the son of man from heaven. Just give me Jesus. And most of us have that feeling in our hearts. We wouldn't be here today if we were not that way. We have come to hear a talk about the Jesus we may not know. We have trouble describing him because he's indescribable. But Jesus had no trouble at all. He described himself in two little words that comprise three letters. Jesus says, you want to know me? Here's my name. I am. I am. This is an Old Testament title for God, and it finds its history in Exodus chapters 3 and 4. You remember how Moses was on the backside of the desert tending the sheep for his father-in-law. And one day when he was out in the wilderness, he looked over on the horizon and he saw a bush that was on fire. And as he drew near to the bush, he was filled with curiosity because while the bush was burning, it wasn't burning up. It was not being consumed. And as he got near to the bush, he heard the words of the Lord God. The Lord was in the burning bush. And the Lord was using this moment to try to recruit Moses for a particularly important job. The children of Israel had been in bondage to the Egyptians for 400 years, and it was time for them to be released. And God needed an agent to go to Egypt and speak to Pharaoh about letting his people go. I've always been intrigued by the little interchange that goes on in that passage because here's God asking Moses to do something, and here's Moses giving God every excuse he can think of as to why he's the wrong person. And the reason that I enjoy that is because I watch it happen almost every week in my ministry. What do you mean? I can't do that. Well, God had this conversation with Moses, and finally, Moses is kind of down to his last strategy. He says this to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel, I say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, Say to them, I am who I am. Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now that title, I am, speaks of the self-existence of Jesus. It speaks to the fact that he is the ever-present one. His name is not I was. His name is I am. His name is not I will be. His name is I am. The Lord Jesus lives now in the eternal present. In many respects, there is no past or future for Jesus. Everything is in the present. He doesn't live in time. He lives outside of time. And so it is true of the Lord Jesus to say that his name is I Am. He assumed this name for himself. In fact, on one occasion in the New Testament, he got himself in trouble with this name. In John eight fifty eight, he said, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, they don't know any theology, and they know this is Jesus, and he's a famous person. But they do know Abraham, and they know that Abraham's been dead and gone for a lot of years. And here's Jesus saying, before Abraham was, I am. In other words, 
Jesus is claiming to predate Abraham. And the people who heard him say that thought it was blasphemy. Jesus meant it as a blessing. And so when you hear him say, I am that I am, Jesus is claiming to be a person unlike any other person has ever been. He is the incomparable Christ. He's the indescribable Christ. And one of the challenges you have when you teach on the life of Christ is, how do you help people to know Christ? Because in order to learn something, we have to have something we already know from which to start the process. And there are no precedents for Jesus. There's never been anybody like him, nor will there ever be. There's no one to whom you can compare him. So Almighty God in his wisdom and through his word has given us a number of metaphors to help us understand who Jesus is. And those metaphors are in the Gospel of John. It was written to prove that Jesus is God. And these seven I am statements kind of go along with the seven sign miracles that are in John's Gospel. And these statements are given to us to help us understand about Jesus. They're pictures of Jesus, and we're going to go through them quickly. And the goal is, when we get done, we will have added to our understanding of who Jesus is and why he came. First of all, in the sixth chapter of John, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Interestingly enough, this statement comes in the midst of the context of the feeding of the 5,000. It is in the context of that story when that little boy brought his lunch to Jesus and Jesus somehow miraculously broke up that lunch so that it fed 5,000 men. And we've already talked about this in the past. At least 15,000 people ate lunch that day because of the miracle of the bread which Jesus multiplied. In the midst of that whole story when Jesus did that, those who watched thought they had finally found the gravy train. This guy can do lunch in a moment. Nobody has to cook it, prepare it, deliver it. He just does it. And in the back of their mind was the story in the Old Testament where the children of Israel lived off manna from heaven every day. Remember that? Every day they would walk outside of their tent while they were in the wilderness, and here was their lunch. And it was called manna. And I've always loved to tell our friends that manna is a word that means, what is it? <laughs> Every morning they had some, what is it? And it sustained them through the day. Now watch this. The people who are Jesus that day say, I'm the bread of life. They have these two thoughts in mind. They think that Jesus is the new Moses who has come to provide manna for them every day. And that he's going to be the miracle worker breadline for them. So Jesus goes back to the synagogue and he straightens them out. And this is what he said. He said, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. It wasn't Moses who gave them bread from heaven. Jesus explained it was God. And that manna that they got didn't last very long. Remember, it had a one-day capacity except for the weekends, and then it was two. It spoiled and it was uneatable. 
Jesus came and he is far greater. He is the eternal bread of God. There are no limitations on the bread of life who is Jesus Christ. And Jesus got done explaining that and I love the humor of the Bible. And the people, they're still living in the physical realm. They aren't getting the message. And they say to Jesus, Lord, give us this bread always. So when do we show up tomorrow, Lord? They didn't understand. He wasn't talking about physical bread. He was talking about the spiritual bread. And he was claiming to be that bread. In John six thirty five, he said, I am the bread of life. And he who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. As the bread of life, Jesus is to our spiritual being what physical bread is to our physical being. Max Licato helps us with that when he writes, What bread is for hunger, Jesus claims to be for the soul. Travel to almost any country and sit in any restaurant and they will serve you bread. It may be in the form of a tortillo in Mexico or a bagel in New York. But bread is available everywhere in the world, and so is Christ. Bread is eaten daily. Some fruits and vegetables are available only in season. Not so with bread, and not so with Jesus. He should be brought to our table every day. We should let him nourish our hearts. And just in certain months or special occasions is not for Jesus. Jesus is for every day. Jesus is daily. And bread is served in many forms. It is toasted and jellied and buttered and flattened and grilled. It can be a sandwich, a sweet roll, a hot dog bun, a croissant, a dinner roll. Bread can meet many needs, and so can Jesus. He has a word for the lonely as well as for the popular. He has help for the physically ill and the emotionally ill. Jesus can meet every need. So now you can see why Jesus called himself the bread of life. He is the core sustenance for your spiritual being. Jesus is your bread. And in the genius of John's unfolding gospel, the one who said, I am the bread of life, next says, I am the light of the world. And once again, there is a story. You remember the story of the woman who was taken in adultery? The Pharisees go and get the woman and bring her to Jesus The Bible says they did it because they wanted to see what Jesus would do. In other words, they were testing him. They wanted to hear what he would say. And the Bible says he didn't say anything. He stooped down and he wrote in the dirt on the ground. And the Bible doesn't tell us what he wrote. Doesn't that just frustrate you to death? (laughs) Billy Graham said, I think Jesus wrote the Ten Commandments. I think that's a pretty good idea. He wrote the Ten Commandments in the dirt. And Billy Graham's not the Bible, but Billy Graham's pretty close. So he said, he wrote the commandments in the dirt. And then Jesus stepped back and he said to all of them, let those of you who have no sin throw the first stone at this woman. And in my mind, I can see this picture. The Bible says one by one, they peeled off from the crowd and walked away. Maybe they stood there and were replaying the Ten Commandments in their mind. I'm okay with this one. I'm okay. Oops. And they leave. Now, it's interesting that when that's all done, Jesus says to everyone, I am the light of the world. 
Why would he say that? He says, I am the light of the world, and he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. He had just told this woman, go and sin no more. And now he says, let me tell you how you can stay out of the darkness. I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't get caught in the darkness. The next chapter, he said it again. And that's the chapter where you have the story of the boy born blind. Never had seen any light at all in his life. And Jesus once again spoke those words. He said, as long as I am in the world, he said, I am the light of the world. And there is one other person that Jesus says is the light of the world. You may be surprised at this. You may not know this about Jesus. There is somebody else beside Jesus who is the light of the world. Here it is. Matthew five fourteen through 16. You are the light of the world. I am the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Jesus said, a city that is on a hill cannot be hidden. Let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Every year on Christmas Eve, we have this big light ceremony. And I always think of this verse where it says, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. If we held that service outdoors and all of us lit our candles and held them up high as we do that night, you would be able to see this for a long way. But the purpose is not the physical light but the purpose is that God wants us to be spiritual light to a dark world. And he says, as I am in this world, I am the light, but I'm going back to heaven, and now you are the light. Probably some of you are saying, I don't feel like a light. In fact, I, there's a lot of darkness in my life, Pastor. Well, let me help you with this. Jesus is still the light. He's the sun. We're the moon. We can't generate light. We can just reflect it. We have no light in ourselves. We can't just push a button that says brighter. We are reflectors. I had a bike when I was growing up, and probably you all have bikes like this. My bike had a little headlight on the front of it, but right underneath the seat in the back was a reflector. That was there, so if anybody was gaining ground on me and they didn't see me, their light would shine on my reflector and they'd go the other way. Now, if I took that bike on a mud ride and the reflector got all dirty, it was useless. So here's the lesson from the light of the world. We are reflectors, and the only way we can shine brighter is by keeping our reflector clean. God wants clean reflectors. And the way you do that, he's given you a product to keep your reflector clean. It's called the Word of God. The Bible is the cleansing agent that keeps us clean. When we study the scripture, when we read the Bible, that's what God uses to help us stay clean. So if you're not in the Bible, or if you don't regularly go to a church where the Bible is the subject, your reflector's probably not as clean as it should be. And my desire, I hope it's your desire too, is to be the brightest reflector I can be for God, to make the best influential impact on our culture as I can make. And the Bible says when we do that, they won't glorify us. The Bible says, let your light so shine that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. When they see the light coming from my reflector, 
they will say, what a great light is shining on David Jeremiah, the great glory of God. Jesus said, I am the bread of life and I am the light of the world. Here's his third statement. I am the door. I remember as a little boy, we used to sing this chorus. One door and only one, and yet its sides are two. I'm on the inside. On what side are you? That was the chorus. I can hear the rhythm. I could sing it for you, but it wouldn't be very pretty. <laughs> now, Jesus says, I am the door. What does that mean? Well, here's what he said in John 10. Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Now to get this in your mind and never to forget it and see the picture that was meant to be created for us, I have to tell you a little bit about what it was like to be a shepherd in Jesus' day. At night, when the shepherd would gather the sheep, they put them in a sheep pen. The sheep pen was created kind of practically. It was movable, and it would be up to a height high enough so that a sheep couldn't jump over it. And usually, when we see pictures of that in magazines or dictionaries, it shows a hanging door on one side of this opening, usually made out of rope or something. And so the picture is when all the sheep are in, the door swings closed, and the sheep are enclosed, and they're safe for the night. But Jesus said, I am the door. What do you do with that? Well, you go back and you study the history of it, and here's what you find out. There were no doors on a sheepfold. All that swinging door stuff, that's Western. We created that. A shepherd never saw anything like that in his life. Because what the shepherd did was this. He would gather the sheep into the fold at night. He would know every one of them. In fact, we're going to find out in a few moments. He even had names for his sheep. And after all the sheep were in the fold... The shepherd would go over to the opening space where they came in, and he would lay down in that space, and there he would sleep that night. He would have his crook and his shepherd's bar with him. And no sheep could get out of the fold unless he crawled over the lightly sleeping shepherd. And no one could get into the fold to hurt the sheep because the shepherd was the door. When Jesus said, I am the door, what he means is, just as the shepherd was the door of the sheepfold, I am the door. By me, you have to enter in. There's always this argument, if a person gets saved, can they get unsaved? If a person gets saved and they're promised to heaven, is it possible they won't get to heaven? I'm not going to answer that question today, but here's what I'm going to say. If you're one of the sheep that belongs to Jesus... You have to climb over his body to get in, and you'd have to climb over his body to get out. And that's not very likely, is it? You belong to him. He knows your name. He's the door to the sheepfold. And it says, thieves and robbers, they try to come in over the walls, but you can't get in over the walls. You can only get in through the door. And Jesus said, hey, I'm the door. <laughs> No one comes into the fold except through me. That's a great picture, isn't it? He is the door of the sheepfold. 
Well, tomorrow we'll finish up our discussion of this particular attribute of Christ. And then we have one more after that as we finish this month together. On Friday, we're going to talk about this question. Is he the king of the Jews or is he the king of kings? And uh, we hope that you will take advantage of the opportunity to get the material for this particular series. The series that Jesus You May Not Know is like this. There's a book, a full-length book by that title, and there's a study guide that coordinates the book with the audio teaching, and there's a CD package, which is all of the audio teaching of the series. These resources make it possible for you to do many things with the teaching on this subject, and I know that you can teach it, you can study it, you can share it. Take advantage of them today at davidjeremiah.org. Use these resources to strengthen your knowledge of who Jesus really is. And we'll see you tomorrow. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, The Jesus You May Not Know, please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected. Our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's new 365-day devotional for 2024, Walking with Jesus. It's sure to inspire you through the year ahead, and it's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions, with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue The Jesus You May Not Know on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. Christmas will be here before you know it. So now is the time to prepare your heart with a timeless devotional written by Dr. David Jeremiah called Season of Joy. Enter the Christmas season with restored hope, resounding joy, reassuring peace, and renewed faith. This inspirational book is yours for a gift of any amount in support of Turning Point. And for a gift of $100 or more, you'll receive a four-pack to share the season of joy with others. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. These words are definitely worth considering. Being virtuous does not always demand a heavy sacrifice, but it does demand the willingness to make a sacrifice when one is needed. In other words, doing the right thing doesn't always cost a lot, but sometimes it does. And in those moments, sacrifice is absolutely required. It's like when Jesus Christ came to earth. 
The only way human beings could be redeemed from sin was for Christ to sacrifice himself, which he did. Our sacrifices for others are small compared to his, but important nonetheless. If you are called on to make a sacrifice today for others, do the right thing. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's sacrifice on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.